Hello and welcome to D23 Inside Disney, the show that gives you a look at the latest Disney news and a peek at the people who make the magic at the Walt Disney Company. I'm D23's Jeffrey Epstein. I'm Candace from Radio Disney. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And we're your hosts who will take you Inside Disney. Candace is back. Oh, thank you. Yay. <laughs> yeah, that Disney magic I was off making last week was basically controlling my toddler by watching Disney Plus, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on repeat. <laughs> that is true Disney magic. Well, that is you know, magic. Working from home life. So hopefully that's relatable. But there you go. All of them are on Disney Plus, parents. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that it's is the magic of Disney. Yes. Oh, in the ensuing days, I know, Sherry, I think you and I were, were texting back and forth about our love of a certain snowman. Oh, yeah. Once Upon a Snowman on Disney Plus is available and it is adorable. And oh. it really got me in like the winter spirit. I'm like shivering right now, even though it's only in the 60s in California. I'm sure a lot of <laughs> listeners are laughing at me for that, but I am cold, just like Olaf. <laughs> Skills. <laughs> but Sherry, you know what? Yes. People always joke. I think we may have talked about this before on the on the podcast, but um everyone's like, oh, why haven't you done an Alaska cruise? And I say, because it's cold. And they say <laughs> it goes up to 70 degrees during the summer. And I say, 70 degrees is winter to me. That is cold. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been in LA for over 20 years. This is like, no. Anytime it dips below 70, it's like break out the parka. Totally. <laughs> yes. Break out the parka, get some hot cocoa, and watch some Once Upon a Snowman. <laughs> yeah, I love to be cold. This is perfect. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to watch it as soon as we're done recording. And Enzo's up from his nap. Do <laughs> yeah. yes. you have any other Disney stuff, Candace? Um, well, we found out one of our friends scored Clouds. He also scored Iron Man. So I wow, was cool. excited, yeah, to hear the music in the movie as well as cry for an hour and a half. It was so good, guys. I know you guys have probably seen it by now, too. So, yeah. and yeah. excited that we're going to get to talk to the director, Justin Baldoni, and Finn Argus, who plays Zach Sobiek in the Disney Plus original movie Clouds later in the show. But if you haven't seen it yet and you need a good cry, maybe you don't even know you need a good cry, which I didn't know I did. <laughs> Clouds. There you go, guys. Yep. And they reveal some really cool things about the making of it and just how much Zach's family was involved, which I thought yeah. was really interesting and really cool. So totally. tune into that after Disney News. So yes. what do we got? What, Candace? What do we have? Well, guys, we have baby news. Yay! <laughs> no, it's not mine. It is not mine. Don't ask. <laughs> no, what you're thinking? <laughs> How dare you tease us like that? <laughs> well, Candy, who was actually the first rhino born at Disney's Animal Kingdom back in 1999, finally gave birth after 16 months of pregnancy to her Oof. baby. I know, right? An endangered white rhinoceros calf weighing approximately 150 pounds, and it is a boy yet to be named Jeffrey. So if you want to hit up Dr. Mark, see what's up. <laughs> Maybe you can get an animal named after you too. I yeah. still think that Sheridus was definitely. <laughs> we should just keep throwing that out as a name for. Yeah, let's stick at some point. Totally, I'm totally. In. I'm in. Well. 
Here's why this is extra special, guys. Kendi was actually paired with the dad, Dugan, through one of the species survival plans overseen by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, which ensures the responsible breeding of endangered species. So you guys know white rhinos, the world's second largest land animal, are an endangered species with a near-threatened status. So this is so cool to have one more, our little Disney baby down there in Orlando, but he's expected to join the crash on the Kilimanjaro Safari Savannah in the coming weeks where guests can see him in his habitat. Dr. Mark posted about this saying that the baby was standing up within a few minutes eating well. And I just love to see his updates on the babies down there at Disney's Mm -hmm. Animal Kingdom. Cute. Wait, a group of rhinos is called a crash? I know, right? That's so fitting. It is. is. And they are the world's second largest land animal. And the first is, of course, me after hitting the churro (laughs) cart (laughs) at downtown Disney. Amazing. (laughs) Some other Walt Disney World news. (laughs) Something else that's going to look fresh and brand new um, is the entrance to Walt Disney World Resort itself. The gateways to the resort are getting a little bit of pixie dust, some new color. I'm very excited about this. I know I say I'm very excited about a lot of things because I'm generally a very excitable human being. <laughs> um, you can check out the parks blog. The colors are going to be used in several places, including at the Magic Kingdom Auto Plaza, as they bring new shimmer to that iconic entryway. Aww. So there's more, a little bit more detail and some really cool concept art on the Parks blog. So check that out. Oh, that's so great. I have so many pictures on my phone of the old gateway, but they're always blurry because it's like Through in the motion. Car window? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Through the windshield. Yeah. <laughs> Sherry, you're not driving when you take that photo. No, no, no. Okay, just not. making sure. That's always the passenger when I'm taking this picture, but you know, it always turns out a little fuzzy. <laughs> I, I can't exactly wait to see the new saying. fuzz colors. <laughs> Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, I've got some more parks happenings over at Walt Disney World. Yes, please. Taste of Epcot International Festival of the Arts is starting January 8th, 2021, and it's going to last through February 22nd. Mm. It sounds like it's going to be a feast for the eyes and the tummy and everything the ears Mm. it's a global celebration of the visual arts culinary arts and of course performing arts and there is all kinds of fun for the entire family i'm most excited about the 15 food studios that are going to be all around world showcase Mm -hmm. and sherry when i was there i was there last uh, january and i got to do it and Oh yeah, my gosh, I think great. I hit 14 of the 15. It was <laughs> oh. talking about being the world's largest live- <laughs> land and mammal. <laughs> sorry, sorry, ba- sorry, back to you, Sherry. What else is going on? <laughs> well, also at the World Showcase Lagoon, there are going to be Disney artists and other invited artists are going to have their work on display for view and for purchase. And some artists are going to be creating magic right before your eyes, which is going to be so fun to watch. There are also going to be special photo locations around the park and a really cool paint-by-number mural that anyone can participate in. It's kind of like a collaborative art project for all guests. Ooh, I like that. 
You can't forget that there is a scavenger hunt. Yes, of course. How can we talk about Epcot without talking about Figment? Exactly. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, there will be a scavenger hunt where you search for Figment around World Showcase. Oh, guys, I want to yeah. be at Walt Disney World right now. I well, know. in January. That sounds so fun. At least by January 8th. We're good. Yes. Well, keep your eyes on the Parks blog for more info. All right. Can we keep with the food and drink theme Please. here? Because food, drink, and Disney World, absolutely. <laughs> Everglades Donuts and Cold Brew is coming soon to Disney Springs. It's going to be located adjacent to Splitsville. This is near the west entrance and exit of the Orange Parking Garage. Disney Springs social media actually posted some renderings of what it's going to look like, and. It's like this really cool spin on a classic donut shop with pops of color, this iconic signage, and a beautiful outdoor seating area, which I think they're calling the Donut Garden, which sounds really heavenly. That's the kind of garden I can keep alive. Exactly. (laughs) That would get me into gardening, honestly. (laughs) Did you see on the Parks blog, they had pictures of some of those donuts? It's like the Fruity Pebble donuts, the Oreo. I'm like, oh, goodness. Yeah, those are my favorites. The big over-the-top Instagrammable donuts. Like, Uh, you feel like you could eat 10, but it's really like, yeah, maybe two. Maybe two max. Oh, I mean, world's largest land animal people. <laughs> I mean, sorry, sorry, sorry. Kim. Sticking with the theme here. Yes, they specialize in handcrafted donuts featuring mouthwatering yeast and cake donuts with an assortment of cold brewed lattes and coffee cocktails and a few sweet yet savory sandwich bites. So there you go, guys. Diets, mm. diets out the door. Ooh. For sure. Well, flipping from what was the former downtown Disney at Walt Disney World to the current downtown Disney at Disneyland Resort, you guys know I've been like half a dozen times to get my little Disneyland fix. You can imagine that my head nearly popped off my shoulders when they announced that they are extending the downtown Disney district onto Buena Vista Street at Disney California Adventure Park. I... I'm like ready to line up now to hit the uh, Elias and company, the the department store with all the amazing merchandise, trolley treats, because you can't get enough of the treats. And there's going to be popcorn. There's going to be churros. There's going to be ice (gasps) cream. The Fiddler Pfeiffer Practical Cafe is going to be open. The Smoke Mm. Jumper's Grill right next to Soren will be open, a streamlined menu, but they have the onion rings, which I could eat those onion rings. Again, world's largest land mammal, <laughs> eat those onion rings all day long. And the Pièce de Résistance, Carthay Circle, is going yeah. to be open for Woo-hoo. dining and cocktails. That beautiful, beautiful building. I, I'm. It, it, the timing could not be better. It's going to be opening uh, in November. So visit Disneyland.com slash DTD as in downtown Disney uh, for more info and for more dates and for more. More Carthay Circle. <laughs> yes. Yes. More Carthay Circle. Mm, I can practically smell the churro cart right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, over the next few months, there's going to be all new, all magical merch available celebrating Disney's 40-year collaboration with Make-A-Wish. And the celebration kicks off with the latest color collection. It's called Wishes Come True Blue, and it 
is heavenly. Mm. This is actually the first Disney color collection celebrating a nonprofit's impact and ongoing collaboration with Disney, and it marks the debut of two all new products. First is the first ever adjustable children's Mickey Mouse ear headband, which is super exciting. It allows children of all abilities to wear them. And the second product is the first cloth face mask for children and adults by Spirit Jersey. Cool. And to honor the launch of this collection, Disney is actually donating 10,000 Wishes Come True blue cloth face masks to Make-A-Wish. So that's super cool. Other items in the collection include some Wishes Come True blue jerseys, sweaters, of course, spirit jerseys, mini backpacks. And last but certainly not least, clogs by Crocs. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Crocs are back. (laughs) And many more products. And for each item purchased in the color collection now through World Wish Day 2021, which is April 29th, Disney is going to donate 25% of the purchase price to Make-A-Wish up to $500,000. So super cool. It's going to make a big impact. And the new offerings are available now at select Disney parks around the world. The Disney Store, ShopDisney.com, ShopDisney.co.uk. You can go to Wish.org slash Disney or the Parks blog for more info. And don't forget to use the hashtag WishesComeTrueBlue to spread the word. Yay. Mm -hmm. Well, and Sherry, once you get those uh, special blue Crocs, you can also pick up your very special Crocs featuring the child from The Mandalorian, (laughs) which were were just announced as part of Mando Mondays, um, kicked off this past Monday, celebrating the launch of Mandalorian, which is this weekend. Cannot wait. Mm -hmm. But every week for nine weeks, there's going to be very cool product reveals I don't know if you guys saw the new 11-inch reel moves plush from Mattel of the child. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, it's, <laughs> it is eerie how much it looks just like it is coming to you right out of the show. So yeah. there's going to be a, a Monopoly, Star Wars The Mandalorian edition with a figure from Hasbro. There's a mini backpack and wristlet from Loungefly, a spirit jersey. Again, we're on the Crocs and spirit jersey train today. Lots (laughs) and lots of very cool product. You can visit mandomondays.com each Monday through December 21st for the latest new reveals, interviews, videos, and more. Yes, spirit jersey season. I like that. Mm -hmm. All day, every day. (laughs) Mandalorian, Disney Plus this weekend. (laughs) All right, yeah. speaking of Disney+, Plus, there is an original movie called Sneakerella. It's now in production for a 2021 debut. So Chosen Jacobs and Lexi Underwood are going to star alongside four-time NBA champion John Sally in this pop hip-hop musical that leaves a sneaker culture imprint on the Cinderella fairy tale which I really like. I actually saw a little, uh, the camera test they did on the first day of production of this film. And it's going to be so good guys. Mm. It's set in New York city and it tells the story of an aspiring sneaker designer named L who works as a stock boy in the store that once belonged to his mother. She's since passed. And I guess he hides his artistic talent from his overburdened stepfather and two mean spirited stepbrothers who constantly stomp on any opportunity that comes his way. So are you guys picking up what I'm throwing down here? Mm-hmm. 
a little <laughs> sprinkle of fairy godfather is thrown in and uh, you'll see l find the courage to use his talent to pursue his dream of becoming a legit sneaker designer in the industry so this is going to be a little bit different i like the music's going to be incredible the choreography is going to be incredible um Brian Terrell Clark from Hamilton is also going to be starring in the movie. And the choreographer actually worked with Beyonce on some projects. So wow. looking forward to that one. Yeah. Coming up nice. next year on Disney Plus. Well, coming up a lot sooner <laughs> is five fantastic things to watch this weekend. Courtesy of our friends at D23, the official Disney fan club. For complete listings and more information, visit d23.com. First, thank you thank you very much and first <laughs> up also on friday after you watch mandalorian or maybe before depending maybe it's a little appetizer before main course here a new <laughs> short of one day at disney damon amandola who's the vp of operations at disney theatrical group is going to talk about the beautiful new amsterdam theater which is where aladdin is currently playing and it's a theater that disney refurbished um, and really brought back to glory and I saw the episode like a year and a half ago when it was in a rough cut and it was very cool. They talk about the painstaking work that really went into reviving that beautiful, beautiful, glorious theater. Uh, definitely, mm -hmm. definitely worth a watch on Disney Plus. Nice. Well, the next day, Saturday, October 31st, Halloween. It's Halloween Town on Freeform. One of my childhood faves. Marnie and her younger siblings follow their estranged grandmother, a good witch played by the fantastic Debbie Reynolds, to her home in Halloween Town, where witches and goblins and vampires and the like lead very normal lives. <laughs> and on Marnie's 13th birthday, she learns she is a witch from a witch family. So you can imagine all kinds of fun happens. What could even top Halloween Town, Sherry? Oh, great question, Jeffrey. Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge <laughs> is also going to be on Freeform, also on Halloween. So you can get your Halloween Town Marathon fix on what better day than Halloween. Well, I will see your Halloween Town 2 and raise you a Sanderson sister because <laughs> the um, best in my mind, I'm sorry if others disagree, the best Halloween movie of all time. I know we've got some Nightmare Before Christmas fans here who are going to disagree with me, but I'm sorry. Hocus Pocus wins with Yay. Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimy as the Sanderson sisters, also on Freeform on October 31st. So you could just make a marathon out of the entire day, like pretty much don't leave your house. Just take that candy you were considering giving out. Eat it yourself. I'm totally down with this. <laughs> That's why we buy the candy anyways, right? It's just Is that just my house? No? <laughs> Definitely going to be watching that. Um, guys, we're going to finish five fantastic things to watch with a new episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Sunday night on ABC. So we're going to see Julie Bowen playing for Baby to Baby, which is such a cool organization. A bunch of my teammates at Disney actually volunteered with them last holiday season. So I'm excited about that. Joel McHale is going to compete for the charity Groundswell. And bus driver Eric Bailey plays for the $1 million prize. So Ooh. there you go. My game show, friends, Sunday night. It's on. Yes. Nice. Well, those are five fantastic things to watch this weekend. But how about now we talk to our two fantastic guests? 
Well, these two men are responsible for me going through a lot of Kleenex recently with their new movie, Clouds, which just premiered on Disney+. Plus. It's inspired by the true story of Zach Sobiek, who, when diagnosed with terminal osteosarcoma, uses his time to lift up the spirits of his friends, family, and complete strangers with his beautiful music. Please welcome to the show, director of Clouds, Justin Baldoni and Finn Argus, who plays Zach. Welcome, guys. Thank Hi. you. Hey. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Uh, on a personal note, I know cancer's probably touched pretty much everyone. And this summer, as my co-hosts know, um, I had my own fight with cancer and was very lucky to win. Mm. But seeing the movie, I'm sure for so many people had extra personal meaning for me and, and it was very inspiring. So thank you guys. Mm. Thank you, Jeffrey. I'm so happy you're doing okay. Me too. So is my mom. Um, <laughs> Justin, I, I watched the original 22 minute documentary about Zach, which was incredible. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But how did you first hear about Zach's story? Since I think a lot of people first heard about Zach's story from your documentary. I had left acting, I think when I was 25 or so, to kind of pursue my dream as a storyteller that could affect and touch people's hearts in a kind of a deep and meaningful way. That was the path I wanted to take in my life. And I just didn't feel acting and the traditional route was for me. I, I didn't feel didn't feel like I was living my true purpose, so to speak. And I, um, I went off to create this documentary series with my good friends at Soul Pancake called My Last Days, where I essentially traveled the country and I told the stories of amazing individuals that were living with a chronic or a terminal illness, but were, were choosing to live with like hope and were choosing love and were just living lives that they were all proud of. And I thought, God, if I could just shake a lot of our country, especially young people awake, and remind them how blessed they are, that they are alive, that they are breathing, then maybe we could, you know, in some ways change the world by inspiring individuals to change the world. And it was in that journey, the end of that first year that I met Zach, I was looking for a seventh episode for the show. You know, we made it for no money. I was traveling the country with seven or eight people. My house was going into foreclosure. I was broke as could be, but happier than I've ever been. I just started dating my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and you know things were starting to come together as I was living and trying to live in service, and that's when I found Zach. And it was right when his song Clouds was starting to go viral, so it, like maybe the video, I don't even know if it had had a million views yet, it was right at the beginning, and the local news team in Minnesota had kind of put it out, and then CNN had picked it up, and that's when I saw it. And I had never looked at the news or the news tab on my browser. And I had looked at it this one day and I just, I felt like the chills all over my body. I also had a fever that was part of it because I was sick, <laughs> but I had this deep knowing it was, and it's hard to explain, but like, I'm a part of this. I felt like I was a part of it before I even was. And I got on the phone with Laura, I think a day or two later, and she invited me into her home after she got the permission of her family. And Zach basically said, I wanted to do it, that he wanted to do it. And yeah, and that was it. So after he passed away and his song hit number one, after the documentary went viral, his mom, Laura, wrote this beautiful book. It was called Fly a Little Higher, and that's been re-released, and now it's called Clouds, a memoir. And I had asked her if I could option the book to turn it into a movie. And that was five and a half years ago. Wow. It's an incredible journey and such a powerful mission that you're on. Um, watching your doc after seeing Clouds, I was amazed by how many of the scenes were replicated almost perfectly for the movie. How much footage did you shoot? 
In the dock or in the movie? In the dock. <laughs> <laughs> so we were there for, I don't know, five or six days, but we shot. It was an extraordinary amount of footage. The, my team back then will joke that, you know, if you, they ever put the cameras down, I would tell them to put them back up. We filmed the whole time, and I didn't know why. When What we discovered was, I, I didn't even remember this, but I even filmed the behind the scenes of me meeting Zach. And, and I can't explain the knowing. I said, guys, no matter what, everything about this, we have to film. And I'd never done that with another project. Like none of the other documentaries I had really been that much of a participant in. So they filmed me meeting Zach for the first time on Skype and our interviews, me like meeting the family and come to realize now all these years later, seven years later, all of that footage has been used because we have created a 10 episode making of called Beyond the Clouds that is going to also go to Disney Plus in November. Wow. That walks through the origin of the story and all of these incredible experiences that we had that I'm sure we're going to talk about with Finn here today. From like the miracles that happened to the Zach effect, as we called it, to, you know, when I first brought Finn and, and Madison to Minnesota to meet the family and Finn got to be in Zach's room or when, you know, we flew out Laura and Rob to meet Tom and Nev, you know, all of this stuff was documented and it's paralleled with all of the footage from seven years ago that we had that I forgot that we even had because I forgot that I filmed everything. Wow. There's even me on the plane going, I was like, why were we filming me? And I just remember, I was like, wait, there's something bigger. And mm. that's the only way I can describe this was like, it was always a knowing that there was something bigger here. And that's the way Zach works. That's the way God works. Hmm. Well, Finn, how much of that footage did you watch preparing to play Zach? Uh, I mean, I watched every little clip that I could possibly find on YouTube. So, I mean, I watched the documentary a million times when I was auditioning and then before we started filming the movie. And there was also this uh, unedited, like- The I interview, think, yeah. Yeah, it was like almost two hours or so of interview footage of, of Zach and Justin. And I watched that all. I think that was right before we did the table read. I watched yeah. the two hour interview of Zach and you know, just regardless of the fact that I was playing him, it was so powerful to watch just because Zach was wise beyond his years. And the way he was answering these questions, it was like he had tapped into some higher something. And it was really beautiful to hear his perspective on his own life, you know, in the face of his mortality. And he handled it with so so much grace and strength. And it was really inspiring. And kind of bolstered me going into that table read the following day, or maybe it was the day of, I can't even remember exactly, but um, all that footage was incredibly helpful for me to have as an actor. And even as a person, you know, like you said, at the beginning, we all have been touched by cancer in some way, you know, almost everyone has a story. And my aunt was reaching the head of her battle with brain cancer last year, right when we were filming this project. And she has a very, very similar spirit and energy to Zach. So it was kind of a mind warp to get into that mindset and almost feel like I was connecting to both Zach and my aunt in those moments. But it was really special and made it possible for me to get into that character and hopefully do the story justice. It was also one of the reasons why we paid extra close attention to Finn because I was made aware that he had a personal connection to this. Mm -hmm. And um, and that was actually very important to me. Finn, I don't even know if I've ever told you that, but 
knowing you had a personal connection to it and that you were in some ways living it in a parallel journey with a member of your family was helpful because I knew he would take this seriously. I knew he would put all of his heart into this because he was living with the reality that he was going to lose somebody that he loved deeply. And that's a very hard thing for a 20, it was 21, you know, I think you turned 21 when we were together. Yeah. That's a really hard thing for a 21 year old to grapple with. And I had a personal experience at that exact same age that shaped the course and the trajectory of my life and my career, which is why I'm actually here doing this. And his personal relationship with it was the thing that I knew would push this over the edge that he could tap into if even as an actor, he wasn't able to in a moment. I knew that was something that we would be able to use together to explore. And uh, I just, you know, there are no coincidences. Totally. How else did Zach's family participate in making the film? Obviously, we mentioned your documentary, Justin, and then Zach's mom's book. But how else did the family participate? Well, you know, generally in movies like this, the Hollywood way has historically kind of been to, you know, you work with the family, you talk, you know, you write the script, you get them, you know, you get permission, you, you, you interview everybody. And then, you know, you show them the script at some point, and then you go make the movie. And maybe you invite them to set, or maybe not. But that's not this movie, and that's not this story, and that's not this family. You know, from the beginning, it was not an easy process for Laura and Rob to even allow this to be made into a movie. You know, because at the end of the day, we have to remember that they are reliving and re-experiencing their trauma and the grieving, the loss of a son. That only happened seven years ago from the beginning. And I, you know, I think Finn's been hearing me say this recently, you know, how many times have I heard on a movie set or in our business, like, come on, we're not curing cancer. And for me, the intention was, well, why not? We can. I mean, Zach's music, his, the money gets donated to cancer research. He set up a fund in his name. His dream was that, you know, we could raise money for osteosarcoma so that other kids like him wouldn't have to die. And I made him a promise before he died that I would do whatever I could to make that dream possible. So from the beginning, it had to be different. And this wasn't going to be a normal Hollywood movie. And I wasn't going to just let Hollywood do their thing. And I wasn't just going to, you know, allow the, the reins to be handed off because the reins were given to me as the custodian of the story by Zach's mother, who's become a sister to me. Mm-hmm. So they had to be intimately involved every step of the way, even when they normally shouldn't be. So, you know, even down to the writing, you know, Kara Holden is our incredible writer. You know, I set up interviews with everybody and they had intimate conversations and they became text friendly where she would ask, how would I say this? Or how should Laura say this? Or, you know, and we would send them the script afterwards, even in its terrible form to give us notes. And we took those notes. You know, I asked Sammy essentially in many ways to rewrite a lot of her own dialogue because she's such a unique person. So Sammy was like, oh, I wouldn't say this, but I'd say this. And there was times where I'm like, oh, we can't say that because even though you would say that, Hollywood's going to think that's super corny and we got to be careful of <laughs> the cheese effect. <laughs> even down to the casting of the movie. You know, when I wasn't sure or when I was on the fence, I needed Laura and Rob and you know, the family to weigh in. You know, we had Finn audition, how many times, Finn? Like six times? 
It was six or seven, yeah. It was like, at one point, it felt like Game of Thrones for Finn, and I'm so sorry that, that I did this to you. There was other guys, and then they would leave, and he would be left. And at the end of the day, intuitively, I think we all knew it was Finn. But being very candid, I did not think at one point, even after I had met Finn, that anybody could play Zach, because Zach had become so large in my mind, in my heart, that I was like, maybe I can't make this movie. Maybe there isn't anybody that can be Zach. Because I was so nervous about failing him and about failing the family because the entire movie rested on this performance in many ways. And, you know, you can't fake that. And I didn't want to cast a star and all. I wanted to find the perfect person. So every time Finn came in, he showed me a different side of Zach. And I don't know if you were doing that or if you knew that, Finn. But, you know, I had asked, like, you know, I want to see a little more of his goofy side. And then he brought in the other parts of him. And I realized by the end of it, when I looked at all of these things, that Finn was born to play Zach. He was, in so many ways, like an embodiment of who Zach was. They're even the same freaking height and weight. You know, the only difference is Zach had bigger feet. (laughs) You know? And Finn has better, you know, eyebrows, let's be honest. That's something Grace would say. So yeah, it was so deeply about making sure the family was intimately involved. And when I, I remember, I'll never forget, when I showed them Finn's audition tape, I was on a text thread and I showed it to Amy and Sammy and I showed it to Laura. And they all came back saying, oh my God, that's Zach. Wow. That's Zach. Wow. And when I was so nervous to make a mistake, that's when I relied on them. Because deep down I knew it was Finn. But I needed the validation of the family. Like who am I to say like, you know, then I'm going to take their story and not involve them and just make these decisions on their behalf. No, they had to be involved. And so we all cast Finn and Zach because when Laura looks at this audition and sees her son, that's all I need. And then, you know, they were involved every step of the way. I asked them to ship half of Zach's room to the set in Montreal because I wanted Finn to be able to touch Zach's real things on set. And he can speak to what that does and what the energy of that is. But, you know, wearing his real clothes, I believe like, you know, in an actor prepares, Stanislavski talks about, you know, putting on a character from the outside in. And I think that the things we touch holds our energy. So if Finn can mesh himself with Zach, even energetically, I believe that would come through the screen. And I think in many ways, Finn channeled Zach and like went to a whole nother place that I've rarely seen actors go to and became him in these crazy ways that I think, you know, hopefully he can speak to, but some of that and all of that comes from the family being so directly and intimately involved in this. And you mentioned the family being involved in the casting process. I have to say it was amazing how Nev, after having watched real life, Laura, how Nev Campbell completely nailed her. It was insane. Yeah. And you know what I have to say, they also at the start and similarly to Finn and Zach, they have the same essence. Like I've never met another person that's more like Zach than Finn. That's why Finn also was so perfect for it because they have similar qualities, a purity, a, a goofiness, a lankiness, uh, <laughs> musical talent. Like they have these things and they become approachable in that way. And Nev and Laura have a similar cadence in the way they speak. They speak with this very powerful yet soft voice and they're thoughtful about what they say. And they're also quiet and they're not, extroverts they're actually more introverts and they're very deep and they're soulful so already they have this this unique similarity 
as human beings. And then, of course, all Nev has to do is the brilliant actress she is, is then just tap into more of that to become this character. And they even have similar looks in some strange ways. Like there was one shot, I remember a picture of them on set and they were both in their chairs watching the monitor. And you just look at the shape of their heads and their hair and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, they look like twins. <laughs> Finn, Justin mentioned this earlier. What was it like to interact with a lot of Zach's actual stuff, like his clothes and his room? Yeah, I think the thing that was most profound was using Zach's crutches. You know, I was using those for almost every scene. I'm walking around on his crutches all the time. And even between takes, you know, sometimes I would just hold them. It, it kind of felt like I was holding Zach's hand in a weird way. And there were some scenes, you know, where I had to go to some really difficult places. And there are moments in the film where Zach is experiencing, you know, deep, profound fear of his own mortality. And yeah, I was feeling very connected to him in those moments too. But the thing is like, Zach already went through that and he came through it and his energy again, kind of like bolstered me to get through those processes. So when I had to do a really tough scene, specifically like the last scene, you know, there's a big concert sequence. I was holding those crutches so tight, like white knuckles, just because I felt like there was this deep sense of connection with Zach and it helped me feel more secure in my performance. Like if I was ever confused about something, you know, most people, the whole cast had their real life counterparts to, to text or call and ask. But um, for a lot of things, I talked to Zach. I just held those crutches and I told him to guide me and, and tell me what to do and what choice to make in this specific scene or whatever it might be. And it was incredibly helpful. And I think it took a lot of strength and vulnerability for the family to allow those items to be used and to be kind of reimagined in this, in this film version. But I'm so glad that they were able to do that because it made certain things in this film possible that totally wouldn't have been otherwise. Specifically, there is a song that I wrote for the movie called My Little Dancer. And that song came about because Justin asked me one day, he said there was some scene that he wanted a musical moment in and he wanted like a 15 second funny little song. And so I sat down to write something and I thought, you know, why not use some of Zach's actual words? And I had gotten these letters from Amy between Zach and herself and they were beautiful and, and intimate. And Laura had also let me look at some of Zach's journals, you know, with unfinished lyrics and chord progressions that he never used. And I combined those two things, like these real pieces of, of Zach's writing, and I started writing this love song from Zach's perspective to Amy. And I was noodling on the guitar, and I came up with this chord progression, and I was playing the song and started adding my own lyrics and stuff, and it developed into this full-length love song. And then I went back, and I was like, oh, yeah, there were those chord progressions in his journal. Like, let me go check and see if that one sounds better than the one I came up with and then it will be more Zach style or whatever. And so I went and I started strumming out the chord progression and I realized it was the exact same chord progression that I had just been playing and had come up with myself. Wow. wow. <laughs> I cannot explain that. It was one of the weirdest moments I, I had the whole entire process of filming and I just got full body chills. Wow. That's incredible. 
Well, Finn, you've, speaking of the music, Finn, you've been a musical performer since you were 10. So was there any difficulty or learning curve in performing the musical numbers in clouds? I think the thing that was most important was capturing Zach's spirit and vocal tonality specifically. So we wanted to feel like the spirit of Zach's music, Zach and Sammy style. Zach's voice really lends itself to the style that he wrote, and it actually fits perfectly with the songs that he and Sammy made together. And I think that it was important to capture that same energy, you know? And it also wasn't that hard because Zach and I have very similar upbringings and very similar musical origins. Like, I think one of the first songs Zach ever learned on the guitar was I'm Yours by Jason Mraz, and that's the exact same song that I first learned to sing and play on the guitar. Another crazy coincidence. Yeah, and also I started writing music when I was 10 years old. And I will tell you, the music that I wrote when I was Zach's age that he was in the film and the songs that him and Sammy wrote together, it's very similar to the music I wrote when I was younger. There's a lot of songs that I've written that I feel like would lend themselves very well to a firm handshake style performance. It almost felt nostalgic, you know, to go and play these songs and learn all the firm handshake music. I, I wouldn't say it was difficult. If, if anything, it was just fun and, and nostalgic. Well, speaking of fun, while there's some humor in the movie, it is pretty serious stuff. Did either of you do anything to lighten the mood on set at times? No, that was Sabrina. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Spill, what did she do? She made fun of me the whole time is what she did. <laughs> <laughs> she was just the best on set. She was the comedic relief. I think you know, Sabrina and I became best friends really fast. So there was a lot of levity, even in those tough scenes. And Madison, I've known since I was 15 years old, which is a, another fun fact. We've been really good friends. And we saw each other at the the chemistry read. And we freaked out because <laughs> we were like, oh my gosh, this is so meant to be. But I think everyone was really deeply connected. And we were having a good time, even though it was a difficult story to tell. There was a lot of humor and hope involved, and that's true to who Zach was. Wow. Do you have a favorite memory on set or a favorite scene that you filmed? There are a lot of them. I think the the big answer is the last concert sequence. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a moment where I'm performing Clouds, and I'm looking out into the audience, and it was a huge room filled with a bunch of extras who were... um, playing audience members. And among those people were the Sobiaks and Sammy Brown and Amy Adamley and a bunch of Zach's friends from high school from Minnesota, as well as my own family who came out to visit when we were filming that scene. And I was looking out into the audience, singing the song and making eye contact with the Sobiaks and with my parents. And it was this crazy full circle moment. And I swear the room was vibrating. I felt like I was on some different level of existence just because there was so much love in that room. Love for Zach and love for each other. It was one of the most special moments of my life. And I would say the only scene that could rival that was jamming out to Sum 41 with Tom Everett Scott. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely one of my faves. I love that scene too. Speaking of the song, it went back to number one on iTunes for the second time in seven years, right after the movie came out on Disney+. Plus. How did that feel for you guys? It seems like such a cool accomplishment and kind of gift to Zach and his family. 
before the movie came out, you know, I like to put the dreams out there in the world, you know, and the goals. And I remember doing an interview for our behind the scenes special that's coming out and, and I said it in there and I actually said it out loud. It was one of the first times I, I said it on camera because I'd been talking to Interscope or our record partner about it and saying, hey, you know, what can we do to figure out, like, can we make history? You know, can we help Zach achieve the impossible twice? And I did not even think about the song the day after the release. I was just wanting to, you know, stay away, number one, from the reviews, because I don't like to read reviews because I don't make movies for critics. I make them for the audience. And number two, I was just overwhelmed with how many people were watching it and texting me about how beautiful the movie was. And Amy actually sent our little group text, the real Amy, that Zach's song had overnight hit number 25. And immediately, I just, again, I was just like, he's going to hit number one. He's going to do it. And just like the first time, he just needs our help. So we put the train in motion and started texting everybody and starting this campaign to make sure like if they're touched by the music to download his song. And also because knowing that his song proceeds go to his cancer fund yeah, and will raise money for cancer. It's like, it's like the whole goal of the film. And Sunday, it was my son's third birthday, Sunday around noon, he hit number one for the second time and made history. I just can't think of a sweeter victory. If anything, Finn, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's like, it just goes to show the magic that is Zach. It wasn't the remake of the song. People wanted to hear the original song. They wanted to feel that thing. By the way, the songs from the movie are doing fantastic. I mean, the album's still climbing the charts. But I mean, even now, today's what? Today's Wednesday. His song's number 10 still. You know, that's incredible. What power. And I think it's happening because, you know, just like, you know, the movie attempts to follow the same format as the song, which is the song is inherently sad because you're tackling these deep complex emotions you know even the word you know the word is like if only i had more time (laughs) so we hear that justin you and zach share a very special sweet life of zach and cody connection can you tell us a little more about that yeah it's funny so there's an easter egg in the movie there's a hitchcock moment where zach is looking on Facebook early on to kind of like check on Amy, you know, his new crush. And in the TV that's playing in the background is an episode from Sweet Life of Zach and Cody that I was in. <laughs> and, and I did that because, and nobody knows this, because when I went to meet Zach for the first time, they were huge fans of the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. And they knew me from that episode and teased me the entire time that I was there, called me Diego and put on my terrible Spanish accent that I had in the show <laughs> and just made fun of me relentlessly the entire time that I was there. So I would be doing something and then Jack would say like, hey, Diego, you know, and he loved Disney. He loved the Disney Channel. That was what him and Grace watched. That's why I put that in the movie. It was a <laughs> sweet memory and a moment with the two of us the whole time being trolled by Zach was something I'll never forget. <laughs> A sweet memory in more than one way. We end every interview we do asking for a favorite Disney memory. I imagine you have a few, but we're going to ask you to pick one if you don't mind. I can answer. One of my favorite Disney memories is actually my grandparents just reminded me of it. My Nana and Papa, it was really special. They got to come and visit for the premiere. And we actually went down a, a rabbit hole of talking about 
our Disney memories as a family. And there was this one time where we were at Disney World in Florida. I think it was at Epcot. And we were out to dinner. I was like probably three years old. For a bit of context, my family used to call me Steph Zilla. My full name's Stefan. Because <laughs> I was a crazy kid, like just bouncing off the walls. And this is before I could even talk. But we were at Disney World at one of the like Disney-themed restaurants, having dinner. And I started throwing a tantrum and they couldn't figure out why. And I couldn't talk. I was just like, you know, upset. And my papa walked me outside and just to try to calm me down. And we walked on like some pier and then there was a band playing Disney music. I don't remember what it was. He doesn't remember either, but there was this band that was playing live music from Disney movies. And as soon as I heard that music, I calmed down and it was like entranced. And this is at the age of three, but I was obsessed with music from that age. And they said from that point on, they knew that they could just use music to calm me down. And the way that they realized that was, was at Disney World. Oh. Yeah, one little Disney memory, but there's a whole bunch of other ones <laughs> you know, throughout my life. I think for me... I'm transported back to being, I think, around eight. It was when my dad and mom took me to see Lion King. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were in Santa Monica on the Third Street Promenade. I remember coming out of the movie theater. I remember being in the movie theater. And it was the first time I remember crying watching a film and feeling transported and feeling compassion and empathy and understanding loss. You know, I remember vividly the moment, you know, Mufasa tells Simba, you know, like everything that the sun touches is yours. You know, he has that whole, that whole moment. And then he comes back in the stars. And I just remember at such a young age processing life and death and feeling deeply and I'm so grateful for that because I believe, and this is what I've told a lot of the Disney executives and uh, been so lucky enough to talk and form a relationship even with Bob Iger recently from this experience. And I've told him that Disney has impacted me as a human and as a storyteller ever since then. So that's one of my favorite Disney memories. If it weren't for Lion King, we might not be here talking about clouds. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, thank you guys so much. It's been so amazing talking to you guys. We're looking forward to, to seeing more of Clouds and the behind the scenes coming up in November. So thank you. Thank you guys so much for having us. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Guys, I feel like I have to go watch Clouds again now after mm -hmm. hearing all of that. I don't know that I have enough Kleenex, but That's I, a good I point. agree. <laughs> that is a good point. Well, thanks again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, of course, use the hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And for all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. We'll be back next week with more Disney news. I will be back as the largest land mammal, and we'll have a fantastic <laughs> guest on an all-new episode of D23 Inside, Inside Disney. Disney.